So once again, we want to welcome everybody. If you're a visitor with us this morning, uh, my name is Peyton. This is Tracy. We're both the ministers here, and we're so glad that you decided to join us. As was mentioned, we are beginning, or not beginning, we're in the middle of a brand new sermon series um, of Missing Peace. And in this sermon series, as Tracy mentioned, we are walking through some of these big ticket issues that we all deal with and day to day. In fact, we broke down some of the myths about mental health, one of them being that you can't be a Christian and struggle mentally. But the reality is, is that as Christians, we are just as human as anybody else. And we are prone to illnesses just like anybody else, be it physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. And so that's a myth. And as a church, we should be bravely and boldly be able to talk about these things. Last week, we talked about the leading mental health issue, the most prevalent and um, ambitious, and that is anxiety. And we ran through a couple of things, but the, the bottom line is this. Um, you can both be anxious and be a Christian at the same time. Again, it makes you human. But what do we do with that anxiety and how do we utilize it and what tools do we have to navigate it? That's what we have as Christians. And this week, we are going to be talking about something that is on the rise in our country, but is far more profound far deeper, far darker than anything we're going to talk about in this series, because this morning we're going to be talking about depression. Depression. Now that is a trigger word. That is a heated word. That is a controversial word about what that word means, what it entails. Here's what I know. I know that I personally do not have an experience with depression. That's just, that's me. However, I also recognize there are people all over the world who do. And while I have consulted in experts and listened to pastors, I know I need and you need to hear a voice of somebody who has dealt and has navigated, which is why I invited Tracy to co-preach a sermon series with me, because Tracy, you've had a firsthand experience with depression. So I want to ask, and what we're going to do, just to kick us off here, is I want to ask Tracy a couple of questions and really, the goal in this is so that we can all come at this with the same baseline. We're going to lay a foundation. If you have experienced depression or you have never, like me, experienced, to hear from the words of somebody who has. And so, Tracy, just to start us off, what would you say triggers your depression? Well, there's a lot of things. And there's some things that, that may not struggle with depression, but things that have caused you to have depression. I mean, societal things um i think what we just went through in 2020 what uh what i've read is that depression tripled in our country and they're even saying that you know it may even be higher than that they're not exactly sure um those of you who went through 9 11 i know i remember watching every day watching the news every day getting reports and i remember after a few days i just sunk into this very deep depression um, and then there are others of you, you understand what I'm saying when I say that um, sometimes there's, there is no trigger. I mean, there's, there's not something you can point to. Everything in my life's going well, you know, got a great marriage, love my kids, things are going great at the church. And for whatever reason, I just feel this, this deep depression and, and I, I, I can't put a finger on exactly what it is, um, but I know it's there and it's and it's getting deeper. And so for for me, um, 
It can be a number, number of things. I have what they call a chemical imbalance. Uh, some people I've heard Christians say sometimes, I don't believe in those. And that's fine because they've never had one. Uh, and some of you, you've never, you've never struggled just like, you know, Peyton, and, and you're just like, I don't understand this. And that's some of the purpose of what we're trying to do, especially people that you know um, that go through this. Yeah, so Tracy, help us understand, like, how does depression, how has it affected your day-to-day -day life and living? I think the biggest thing and the biggest regret for me is just this, um, how much I miss with my family. And what I mean by that is not necessarily when I have had these bouts of depression that I wasn't with them physically, it was just emotionally, mentally. I remember seeing a picture when I, we were in Nashville and I remember I was going through really struggling with this, this bout of depression and we were all eating around the table and there was a picture of me and I just thought I was being quiet. I didn't, I wasn't doing anything. Um, but I saw the picture and I thought that's what I look like. I think it's the first time I'd ever seen myself. You can't hide it from your family. You can't hide it from others. Um, I think, you know, it's difficult to concentrate sometimes when you're, when you're depressed, as far as my work goes, most of the time it's, it's not going to affect me getting the work done. Uh, but what it does is it affects the passion the love for it, the desire for anything, not just it. Um, I would say being irritable, um, on edge. Those are, those are all things that has affected me yeah. as well. Yeah. And I want to thank you for being vulnerable with the church and with us. Mm -hmm. Um, so I w I'm going to give you the stage here. Why, why would you say as somebody who has dealt with this either in the past or in the recent uh, few or recent past, why is it so important for us as a church or just us as people to talk about this so openly? Yeah, <clears throat> um, it, really a, a lot of what you've said over the last couple of weeks, which is sometimes there's this, this concept that you can't be a Christian and have these bouts of depression. And, you know, there's a lot of well-meaning preachers. I've been one of those that just felt like, hey, if you love God and God's spirit's in you, then um, if, you know, it just means you're not spiritual enough. I remember um, several years ago and uh, thinking that I was King Saul. And those of you who know the story, King Saul, you know, he, he just continued to rebel against God. He sinned. He, and God took his Holy Spirit away. And, and I, I just kept thinking, you know, this is, that must be what happened. There must be something, there's this guilt. So when you're depressed, it's nothing like the feelings of guilt to make you feel better. Um, but, but those are definitely some of those things um, as well. And I just think it's important. I, here's something I tell Christians, is this is something that you struggle with and you struggle with severely. You question talking to someone about it as long as you feel, until you feel comfortable. And you need to feel comfortable with the person that you do talk to them about. But I think it is important because Christians, this is why I'm very open about it. It's not that I just want to put out to the world, I, I deal with bouts of depression, you know, um, because I mean, I remember years ago, not here, uh, an elder telling me I shouldn't tell people that. And, um, but I feel like, I feel like I should. 
And one of the reasons is because to know that you're not alone. The other reason is to know that, like, what do I do to help with that? Because there are things over the years that have helped me overcome and help me when I'm starting to feel this way, things that I need to, to do. Um, I, I think those things are very important. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we just ask you to hold us, Father. Father, we know that there are those that are in this auditorium right now who may be going through some very difficult times. We know that there are those who deal with bouts of depression. Sometimes they feel as if they're alone. But Father, we know that you're always with us. We know that you care for us even though we don't always understand. But Father, may we continue to hold on to you with everything that we've got. I pray for those this morning who may have come in and they feel this depression. Father, just give them a sense of peace. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So for somebody who hasn't dealt with depression, it might be easy to dismiss Tracy. And what he said is like, hey, come on, man. You, you just like seem so happy all the time. Life seems to be going pretty well for you. Like, come on, just... Put a smile on and let's just keep moving forward. But what I'm hearing, at least from you, Tracy, is that depression is more than just being sad. Like it's more than just being in a place of like discouragement. It's this constant state of darkness that you almost can't control it. Sometimes it comes out of nowhere. Sometimes it's as if you can't feel anything at all. It's not that your emotions are overtaking you. It's that you just can't feel. You have no motivation, no hope. And what's more, well, at least what I've heard from you and your experience is that the church should be a place where you can openly talk about these things, but it's almost become taboo in church circles. It's almost like, hey, you have Jesus on your side. You have Jesus, you know, in your court. You have his power. So just turn it around. Keep moving on. And even if you are in a good church circle that surrounds you with love and support, there is still this almost spiritual guiltiness attached to it. Like, even if nobody is saying it, I know or I think I know I shouldn't be feeling this way. And so on top of the depressive thoughts is guilt. And it's just this perpetual cycle. And then well-meaning Christians come along. And I, and I genuinely mean good, well-meaning Christians. And in a roundabout way, they'll say, what we've already said they will say is suck it up, put a smile on, keep pull yourself up by your bootstraps, keep moving forward, which is a very individualistic Western mentality. Like we've adopted, we framed that kind of mentality, right? Of just keep pushing forward. Because I wanna I wanna place this into a wider context here. If somebody who you love, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a good friend, comes to you and says, I have this really bad sore throat. Like it's hard for me to swallow things, hard for me to speak. You might say, hey, you should take some medicine to soothe that or maybe drink some warm tea with some honey. If it gets worse, if it's not improving, go see a doctor. They'll check it out. If, you're, if your son comes off the, the sports field after, a, after an injury and he's limping and it's persistent, you may say, let's go get x-rays. Let's go diagnose this thing for what it really is. And then let's go find professional help who can make sure this thing heals properly. But when it comes to mental health or when it comes to depression, it's almost like put a smile on and let's keep moving forward. 
So if you're here this morning, you're fighting with depression, I want you to know it is on the rise as one of the fastest growing mental health illnesses that we have. More and more people at younger and younger ages are being diagnosed. Now, how you want to classify that diagnosis is a different conversation. But what I want to do is approach this from (coughs) a spiritual context, right? I want to throw a verse up here to kind of set the tone for us this morning. And if you battle with depression, this verse might give you some encouragement. It also might make you extremely angry. So I'm warning you about it. And that verse is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. So the first part of that seems pretty obvious, right? Anxiety weighs down the heart. Anxiety, nervousness, worry, all of these things contribute to a much darker version of it, which is depression, of feeling of hopelessness. Like depression is whenever your body, your mind has stripped yourself of any kind of coping, right? It's just you're completely void. And it usually starts with things like anxiety and your heart often feels like there's a weight attached to it and it can't seem to surface and find air. But then the second part seems almost a little too simple, right? Some translations say a good word, a good word cheers it up, makes it glad, turns it around. And if you have ever struggled with depression, you're thinking a kind word A good word, a good word doesn't pull me out of my darkness. That's far too simple and it's not actually helpful. But I want to remind us this morning that we're not talking about just a kind word. We're not just speaking about a good word. We're talking about the good word, the living word, the powerful word of God. The word that we believe is living and breathing and has power in our world today. That's the kind of word I want to give you this morning. The word that can actually help. Because here's my hope, that a kind, good word will give you just a little bit of hope this morning. That if you're struggling, that a kind and good word from God's living and powerful word will give you just a little more hope this morning. And in case you're here and you're feeling pretty proud because you don't deal with depression, Don't. (laughs) It doesn't make you more spiritual if you haven't ever had your bouts with depression. In fact, depression doesn't discriminate. So if you've never dealt with it, you've never faced it, it doesn't mean you never will. And there's usually no preparation for whenever it hits it. You don't prepare for when tragedy hits your life, when some kind of trauma, whenever you experience some kind of trauma, whenever your emotions are just completely stripped from you. It's not something you can usually prepare for And it doesn't discriminate. It's open for anybody. So the reason is because it's complex. We're complex. We're humans. We have complex emotions and complex feelings. And I want to give my disclaimer that I'm going to give in every single one of my lessons. I'm not an expert in this. I'm not an expert. Most of the times I will refer you to an expert if you are dealing with depressive thoughts. I'm approaching this from a spiritual standpoint. I've researched with experts, talked to mental health professionals, talked with people who've experienced this, listened to pastors who've talked about this. That's all I have for you. But in all of that experience with depression, I have identified for me, 
I've identified four root causes of depression. I want to talk to you about those because, again, it's going to give us a foundation so we're all on the same playing field and we can understand what we're talking about here. So let's run through very quickly those four root causes of depression. The first one, Tracy hinted at for us, a biological cause. <clears throat> so if you're struggling with depression right now, you might have done nothing whatsoever to deserve that, for it to be attached to you. There might be, as Tracy mentioned for himself, a chemical imbalance in your body or your brain. You could be experiencing some kind of chronic illness or some kind of chronic pain that's putting you in a dark place. You might be nutritionally deficient. You might have hormonal changes. You might have just had a baby and you feel the postpartum effects. You might not be sleeping enough. You may not be exercising enough. You may not be getting enough sunlight, right? There are a lot of biological causes that can lead to a darker state of depression. Another cause are relational causes. This manifests in, for example, you might be having a big argument with one of your kids and you're not sure how to navigate it. Maybe uh, your marriage is on the rocks. You're trying to deal with that tension or somebody that you love. Your relationship just isn't the same anymore. Maybe you uh, reached out to somebody. You try to connect with somebody but got completely rejected. Now you feel isolated, alone. How about this one? Tracy mentioned this. Maybe over the past two, three years, you've been through a global pandemic that not only for 18 months made you fear your own life, but the life of the people you love and you are isolated from them, lacking true community. And now today you are still trying to find that community. You're still seeking community. Biological cause, relational cause could also be circumstantial could be something happened in your life. We talked about this. You might have lost some uh, you might have lost somebody who you love and you're dreaming of the day that you could just talk to them one more time. Maybe you experienced some kind of trauma. Maybe financially you've done everything you can and yet you still filed for bankruptcy. It could actually be something that appears to be good on the forefront. So for example, Maybe you dreamed of the day that you would be retired, that you're going to have so much fun when that day comes, whenever you finally cross that line. But now you are retired and the question is running through your mind, what is my purpose now? What am I here for? And you're wondering, what good is it if you don't have a career anymore? And then, so it could be biological, it could be relational, it could be circumstantial. The last one, we can't forget what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. That we, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual attacks, these principalities that we cannot see. Your depression could be cause of something like that. Because remember, the enemy, the forces of darkness, want to steal and kill and murder everything that matters to God, including you. So causes, biological, relational, circumstantial, and spiritual. Let's take a turn. I want to show you in the Old Testament a very depressed man of God. In fact, this wasn't just a man of God. This was a prophet. So he was a representation of God for God's people. It was his task to go to God's people and tell them exactly what God wanted them to hear. And so here we have a man who is a deep and committed in his relationship with God, and yet 
experiences deep, dark, and desolate mentality. We're going to be talking about the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3. Now, I want to give you some context while you turn to Lamentations 3 because there's a powerful passage there that you are going to need to read, especially if you don't understand what depression is, what it looks like. But let me give you some context. <coughs> you may remember Solomon's temple. It's one of the great tributes to to God in the ancient world. This is like the White House to Americans for symbolism. Only it's on a divine level, right? This house, this building represents God's presence. Doesn't just represent it, but this is where God's presence resides. This is where people bring their sacrifices to atone for their sin. Stood for 400 years until 287 BC when the Babylonians came and completely decimated it. And it was our prophet Jeremiah who witnessed the entire thing. Put this in into your thought. You are a man of God. You are a prophet of God. You're the representation of God. You are giving God's message to God's people on God's behalf. And you witness God's home, God's presence being completely demolished by his enemies. You're witnessing your family and friends being killed or carted off to be slaves. You're witnessing God's presence, your homeland, everything you know being stripped away from you. And you were supposed to be God's man. How do you think Jeremiah felt in that moment? Well, he may feel at least partially what some of you feel on a regular basis where you just don't know what to do next. You don't know what you're supposed to feel. You don't feel anything. I want to read to you the description of what Jeremiah says he's feeling. And again, if you've never felt depression, you know somebody and you're trying to understand, or if you are feeling it, you just don't have words to put to how you feel. Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to listen to Jeremiah's words and put it up on the screen, but I just want you to listen. Listen to this. <clears throat> Jeremiah says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me, this is what he says, he has made me walk in darkness rather than light. He's besieged me, surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's walled me in so I cannot escape. He's weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor, it's gone. And all that I'd hoped for from, the God, from God. And then listen to this dark cry. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Yeah, I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. This is the prophet of God. This is the man of God, absolutely broken. And I'm curious, Tracy, does this resonate? As somebody who's experienced this, is this resonating? Is Jeremiah's words resonating with you? Yeah. Uh, 
fact, go to that next slide there, Peyton. Um, when Peyton showed me this verse, I'm just like, yeah, he totally gets it. Uh, those of you who've been depressed, you know, we talk about that affliction. I, I think that's one of the things as ministers, sometimes we, we struggle with depression because we, we see people who hurt and we hurt deeply. It's not just us. I mean, we've got some nurses out here, people who have given their lives in, and they're around hurting people and, and it gets to you, you know, um, walk in darkness, dwell in darkness. If you talk to someone who's depressed and you ask them to describe it, usually darkness is the first thing that comes up. And, and it, it just like this feeling of there's, there's no hope. There's just no way out. Bitterness, hardship, walled in, so I can't escape, weighed me down like with chains. Sometimes you just feel like you can't even move. If you've known somebody who's depressed and it's like, I can't even get them out of the house. I can't get them out of their room because they just, they feel like that there's, they just feel like they can't move. I cry for help and it seems as if God doesn't hear. And if you've ever been there before, you just wonder, God, are you there? Are you hearing me? You know, there's, there's that feeling. And then deprived of peace, um, that's worry, sleeplessness. Or maybe, maybe you sleep through the night, but it's restless sleep. You know what I mean? Some of you know what I'm talking about. There's a difference between a deep sleep and restless sleep. This is what anxiety and depression does. And he says, my splendor is gone. I just don't feel any joy. Uh, I'm, I feel downcast within me. That's, that is just saying I'm depressed. And sometimes when you're depressed, even, even things that you should be joyful about, you're struggling. You're just, you're just struggling. But for me, one of the things that I try to help people with and the thing that helps me the most is the book of Psalms. People hear me talk about it all the time. Uh, you find a lot of times these psalms are being um, sung and recorded by those who were depressed. I can't think of any better one um, than Psalm 23. At least that's one that I know you would remember. But just think about it, okay? Especially if you go through depression. I need a shepherd to lead me in the darkness to the waters of rest. I, I need my soul restored because I have no peace or joy. And, and, and I realize that just that I do go through these times of, of darkness. In fact, he talks about he's with me in the shadow of death. A better translation there is utter darkness utter darkness. The psalmist doesn't say, listen, if as long as you love God, you're not going to have trouble. In fact, he says you're going to have shadows of utter darkness. He says you're going to have enemies. But he says he's with me, providing, caring, and just loving us. So Tracy and I want to reveal, want to give to you two truths that you can hold on to if you are fighting, dealing with depression. 
two things that you can do for yourself that you can remind yourself of, but two things you can also use with other people because the reality is many of you may not ever in your life have to deal with the bouts of depression, but you will likely know somebody who does. Be it a child or a coworker or a spouse, it is that prevalent. And it's that important for us to remember truths, truths. And one of the truths is that your emotions are real, that they're very present and they're very evident and genuine. Now, you'll hear preachers say, and I've even said, but I want to clarify what I'm saying, that your emotions, you shouldn't put all your eggs in the emotions basket, right? Because they're fleeting. You don't make any major decisions off them because, well, they're going to change. Like, I'm going to feel different at the end of this sermon than I do right now. That's just how emotions work. But while they may change, they are still real and they are still present, which brings us to the truth that your emotions are valid. They are valid, but they are not permanent, right? They, they are real, they are genuine, but they don't endure. That they are given to you, that you may feel hurt. You may feel like you don't know where to turn. You may feel like you've done everything you know to do to help yourself out of this. And all of those feelings are genuine, valid, and real. In fact, those feelings are a vital element to your recovery. In fact, some experts would say that by identifying, acknowledging how you feel is how you can actually overcome and change that feeling. So here's what I want to do. I want to do a little exercise with you right now. You do not have to do this out loud by any stretch. But in your mind, I want you to name, to identify how you feel right now. So you might say, I feel hopeless. And you'll say that in your mind. Others of you, you might say, I feel angry. I feel hurt. I feel ticked off by the world. I feel bored? No, you don't feel bored. I feel betrayed. If you're depressed, you might say things like, I feel empty right now. I feel alone. I feel scared. Like whatever it is, name that feeling in your mind. And I'm not doing some like free spirit meditative exercise with you. I'm doing science with you right now of naming your feeling. Because speaking of being scared, how many of you show of hands would say you're afraid of spiders? Raise your hand. Afraid of spiders. Perfect. Can you look under your pew real quick? I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> How many people like lifted their legs immediately, just like reactively? No, I'm not going to do that to you. I won't do that. But I do want to tell you about a study where they, uh, a, a study they did that had to do with tarantulas. Now, if you're, if you're just listening to this right now, <laughs> we have a big hairy tarantula on the screen. I thought about bringing one up on stage, but I don't know anybody crazy enough that owns a tarantula, and I don't think I could pay attention. And I think half of you would leave the room. So I settled with a picture. But how many of you want me to change to the next slide? You're like, yeah, change it. Okay, I'll change it to the next slide. Okay, there we go. We're going to sit right here for a second. So they took people in the study that were frightened of spiders, which, as you can see, is not hard to find. And they did an experiment with them. They brought these people afraid of spiders. They brought them into a room that had a caged tarantula, just like this one. 
right? And all these people were scared of spiders, but they were broken up into four groups, okay? And they were all given four different instructions. So the first group had to do what I just, we just did an exercise together to do, right? They had to name, what are you feeling? So they'd walk in, they'd see the spider, they'd say, I feel scared. I feel terrified. I feel disgusted. I feel whatever. They would identify the feeling. Second group would come in and they had to identify a fact about the situation. It just couldn't be attached to how they felt. So they may say, that spider is big. That spider's in a cage. That spider has eight legs. They would just name a fact about the situation. The third group would walk in and they were told to name a fact that has nothing to do with the situation. So they may say, it's Tuesday. They may say, it rained today. They may say, I have blue shoes on. They would just name a random fact. And then the final group would walk in and they were told to not do anything. Don't name anything, observe, leave. So they did this experiment. <clears throat> and one week later, they brought all of these people back and they hooked them up to test, right? So they could see how they would physiologically react to the next study because they wanted to see like, do they sweat? Does their heart race more? Do they pee their pants? Like what, what are they physiologically doing when they walk into a room and the spider is not in a cage anymore, it's now out of the cage. And they wanted to see how people would react in these four groups. Here's what they found. That the people who identified how they felt did exceptionally better than every other test group that there was. In fact, only people from that first group were willing and able to actually touch the spider when they were asked to do it. So what they found in this study was that just naming your emotions opens the door to changing your emotions. So my plea to you is to just identify what are you feeling. And here's the reality. You are not more spiritual if you pretend your feelings are irrelevant. You're not more spiritual. They are present. How you feel, your emotions, they're present. God gave them to you. They are valid to some degree. However, and this is the key, they are not permanent. They are not everlasting. So when you acknowledge that you have feelings and what the feeling is, and you also acknowledge that the feeling is not permanent. So you may say things like, I feel alone. I feel desperate. I feel hopeless. When you name it, we would say, God, you open the door for God to change that emotion. But here's the key. And this is a dis disclaimer about all of this. The key is not to make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. That's the key. In fact, I want to extend this a little bit more and say not only will we not make permanent decisions, but we will also not come to permanent conclusions based off of temporary feelings. A permanent conclusion might look like, well, all men are like this. All churches are like that. All Democrats are like this. Or, even more personal, I will always be like this. I will always feel this way. We'll not come to permanent conclusions. We will not make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. Because if we do, here's what happens. Let me give you some 
some some examples. You may, for example, move to end your marriage because you feel threatened, you feel terrified, you feel unsure about it. You may walk away from God because you have doubts, because you're not sure, because you feel like he's not there. Or in the worst case, you may feel like life isn't worth living in the worst moments. And your spiritual enemy who wishes to steal, murder, and destroy you will say, yeah, you'd be better off if you weren't here. And that may feel true in the moment. But it, I want you to know, I want you to hear it from me, that is never, ever, ever true. Because God knew what he was doing when he created you. He knew. He knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. He created and formed you exactly how and who you were supposed to be. He brought you here to know him. He gave you good works that were placed ahead of time before you. He knew what he was doing. So we won't make long-term judgments. We won't come to long-term conclusions based on fleeting feelings. Your feelings are valid. They exist. You receive them from God. We feel them. That's okay. But we won't, will not let them dominate us. They are not in charge. They don't have control. They don't get to decide. Your feelings are real, but they are not permanent. That's the first truth. And I want to invite Tracy up here. Tracy, you're going to give us the second truth, right? Yeah, the second truth is simply this. That with God, there's always hope. And I think one of the things that we struggle with the most is we like instant gratification, just like we like our, our fast food and we like everything to be now. You know, we see, you know, look in the government and we say, you know, that person, they need to be out right now. Everything's being destroyed. Or, you know, that relationship that, you know, Peyton talked right now. And, and we just, we're constantly in this, this feeling of the now, but the word hope, the word hope in the, in the Hebrew, it simply means waiting, expecting. In other words, it's not exactly what we want to hear, <laughs> you know, because this idea of waiting is not always easy, but here's, here's what we learn is that hope is not based on optimism. It's not based on your circumstances. It's based on a person. Forty times in the Psalms, the word hope is used. Almost every single time they are waiting on God. Biblical hope is based on a person. The book of Hosea 2 verse 15, the prophet chose hope when he said that he could, that God could turn his his valley of trouble into a door of hope. And he says, I feel this way because of what God has done in the past, because of what he did with Egypt. In other words, our depression is often, we're feeling the moment, we're feeling the present. Things are not going well. I don't feel good. And, and what we learn is to get out of depression, we often have to look back and we have to go forward. And we have to ask ourselves, what is my Egypt? 
What is my Egypt? Maybe, maybe you remember a time when, when things were not going well in your marriage and God eventually came through. Maybe it was some kind of physical problem you were having and, and the moment you felt like this is awful, this is a disaster, but now you look back and you see that God brought me through. It could be several different things back here that you say, you know what, God, God was faithful. I didn't feel it in the moment, but now I can look back and I see that he was. Therefore, I can hope. Therefore, I can expect God to continue to watch after me and to care for me. And I think that's very important. And what the Bible says is simply this. Jesus, he is our living hope. And that word in the Greek is the same as in the Hebrew. Expectation. And we can be born again in Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and raised to a new life. Our giants with confidence, we will walk into that darkness confidently. And we will keep fighting as anxiety weighs down the heart, a good word cheers it up. And I pray that a good, kind word will be enough, will be enough to get you through the rest of the day. That a good word from God will be enough to get you through the next minute, it'll get you through the next hour because God promised you a perfect peace. Those who are in him, a peace the world can't give, a peace the world can't take away. And if you're fighting, remember the truths. The truth is that your feelings are valid, but they're not permanent. That your scenario, your situation may feel hopeless, but with God there is always hope. Let's pray as we close out here. So Father, we pray today for a good word, for hope. Father, we pray, and I know a 30-minute message is not going to cure everybody's depression, but God, I pray that a good word would bring hope. Hope to make it through this moment. Hope to turn to you. Not to make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions, but to look to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus, your risen son, for healing and for hope and for victory over depression. And I want you to keep praying. Keep praying right now because many of you don't know where you stand with God and you need to just pray to him right now. God, maybe I've been too bad for you. Maybe I'm too far from you. Maybe I'm too broken for you. Maybe I feel too hopeless for you. But because of his great love, we are not consumed. He loves you so much that he became one of you in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh, perfect in every way, holy without sin, and Jesus died on a cross to forgive us of our sins. And if you feel depressed, if you feel dark, if you feel hopeless, if you feel guilty, if you feel ashamed, we step away from our sin. And we step into the grace of God through Jesus. And God says, I will forgive you of those sins. He forgives us of every single sin and we become brand new. God, we give you our prayer. We give you our anxiety, we give you our worry, we give you our depression, we give you our negativity that's circulating in our hearts and minds. We seek peace in you, Jesus. We seek peace in you. Amen.